this morning uh, we have uh, a guest speaker with us, uh, a man who's um, becoming just a, a very, very dear friend of mine, a guy that I value so much in our city. His name is Jeff Scott. He leads a church in Westboro called West Village Church that started roughly right around the same time as Grace City. Uh, Natalie and I have enjoyed having some time with Jeff and his wife, Ruth. They have four beautiful kids, and God is doing some exciting stuff with them over at West Village. Um, I'm not in a rush for any of you guys to ever leave this church, but if you ever left this church to go there, I'd be really annoyed and really happy for you. So um, I love this guy, and I'm glad that he's here this morning serving us. Can we give a massive welcome to Jeff as he comes to preach? Thanks, buddy. Well, good morning. It's good to, uh, to be here and uh, to share, and I echo all of that, and uh, I don't want to see you at West Village. Okay? <laughs> um, I was just sharing with uh, the people sitting in front of us that um, this is almost nostalgia for me. Um, I'm a church planner, too, and we were where you're at, and uh, now we're, we're like 300 people, and I miss this. So that's not to say, um, as the Lord grows uh, Grace City Church and brings lost people um, to be found and from the darkness into the light, we rejoice in that. But don't despise the small things. Enjoy this time. There's things you can do right now that you won't be able to do later, like make coffee during the sermon, right? (laughs) Or have brewery night. Like, come on, really? Can I come to that? Okay. Don't tweet that. All right. um, I was a young adult pastor at a large church in Ottawa called The Met. And uh, a few years ago, the Lord laid on our hearts, uh, Ruth and I, um, to plant a church for this generation. And by this generation, I, I don't mean um, a student church or anything like that. What I mean is, is a church that it has a heartbeat um, to see people who view the world like this generation does, and who are caught up in the things of the world right now, whether they be nine years old or 90 years old. And the Met and every church kind of serves a a purpose that the Lord has, but we felt um, there was a hole missing in a certain part of our city called Westboro, where there's a high concentration of people who, who are wrapped up in the way the world views things today. My next door neighbor is a columnist, Uh, for CBC. And it's weird knowing what your neighbor thinks about religion and politics. And he's an editorial guy. If I told you his name, you'd know exactly who it was, so I won't. (laughs) He also will go out and play basketball with my kids. So it's all good. But uh, this morning, what I wanted to do is actually give you a message that I've been trying, um, as the Lord's been laying it on my heart, um, if I could go back in time to when our church was this size, and, and, and I could kind of speak to you about what to remember moving forward, this would be it. So if you got your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 9. And we're going to be looking at some of that stuff that nobody likes to talk about when they, when they look to the things of Jesus, right? We always love the, the stories that talk about how loving and accepting and kind he is. These are some of the harsh words about Jesus or that Jesus shares. He gives some pretty strong words about those who want to follow him. If it was ever cool and hip to follow Jesus, if it was ever the nice thing to do, the fun thing to do, can't do anything else thing to do. He's got words for us. 
And as a group, as a young church plant, the heartbeat of what Jesus is getting at here is something that, that is easily lost as things get easy, as things get comfortable, but also when things get tough. And it's just human nature, fallen human nature, to want to stay comfortable. But that's not what Jesus has called us for. So let me pray, and then we'll unpack the text together. And uh, I normally go for like 50 minutes, all right? So we're going to like go through this. And if it's too fast, please come and talk to me afterwards. Jeff, you skipped over this part, and are you dodging that? I'm not. I'm just trying to respect your time. All right, so let's pray, and then, and then we'll jump in together. Father, thank you uh, that we can gather this morning downtown Ottawa and worship you to open your word together, to speak truth and encouragement and challenge into each other's lives. Father, I pray your blessing upon Grace City Church. I pray your protection upon them. Thank you for them. Thank you for Rich and Natalia and, uh, Lord, their team. And Would you continue, uh, Lord, to draw people unto yourself as um, Grace City shines brightly for you. And so, Jesus, now as we look into your word, as we look at your words uh, to those that would seek to follow you, by your spirit, would you impress upon us at places where we need to change, places where we need to let go, places where we need to think about things differently, places where we need to step into uh, what you have for us. May it be your words by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So I have four kids, as Rich said, and one of my kids, uh, the seven-year-old, is, has already been brought home by the police. He's an escape artist. He's curious. He's a good little boy, but he's stubborn as anything. He learned to ride the bike this way. He rode the bike, fell off the bike, hurt himself, kicked the bike, sat under a tree, cried, stared at the bike, got back up, got on the bike, and rode the bike. That's how he does it. And every single thing that Joel has been a part of has gone like that. We went to a, a Bible conference this summer, and they have, um, they have a, a swimming pool with lifeguards and everything else. And, and the way that they do it, if you want to swim in the deep end, you've got to pass a swim test. Right? A lot of the public pools are like this too, right? So Joel comes up to the lifeguard, and he looks up at her, and he's like, I want to do the swim test. And she's looking at him like, okay. So he jumps in, and he's like, doing his thing, comes, gets out on the other side, and the lifeguard's like, yeah, no, sorry. Next day, Joel's standing under, I want to do the swim test. He did it every day. Never got to the deep end. <laughs> but he was resolute, resolute in, in, in wanting to get to the deep end. It didn't matter what was said to him. It didn't matter how many times he had to do it. Every day he was there again. He's going places. Prison, parliament, one, <laughs> maybe a combination. But he has this thing in his heart. He just he cannot let it go. And, and this morning, I, I've entitled this, this message resolute, which is a word that we don't really use that often. We get our word resolution from and resolve and, and stuff like that. And, and what, what's really weird about resolutions is that you know that our brains actually, when we make a resolution, that actually sati- satiates our resolve to meet that resolution. 
So even just thinking, like if you want to lose weight and you go online and you look up losing weight and you find a program that you like, that satiates your resolve for losing weight. You already chemically go, yeah, I worked out today. It's bizarre, but resolute means this, right? All right, admirably purposeful, determined, and unwavering. And that's honestly what Jesus is calling us to by his strength if we're going to be followers of Jesus. So here's these harsh words. You ready? From the word of God. Let's look at chapter 9, verse 57 of, of Luke's gospel. As they were going along the road. Now they are the, is Jesus and his followers, okay? As they're going along the road, someone said to him, him being Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So we've got this situation here. Jesus is um, on his way with the disciples. And the first question is, on his way where? Well, verse 51 of chapter 9 says that he had set his face. Literally, he had set his face towards Jerusalem. And chapter 9 actually is, is a pivotal moment in, in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus starts to fully divulge to his followers that he's going to Jerusalem to die. Okay, And there's a whole interchange that happens. The other Gospels play it out even more where the Mount of Transfiguration happens. Jesus reveals who he is. And Peter just like, I want to stay here forever. Let's make tents. And God's voice comes in and says, this is my son. Listen to him. And then all the flash and lights go out and they're back on their road to Jerusalem. It's also where Jesus asked, who do, who do, you, who do people say that I am? And Peter hits a home run. He's like, I, I, you're the Christ, the Son of God. And then he reveals, I'm going to go and die. And what does Peter say? Never. And then you get this classic, no one ever wants to hear this from Jesus, get behind me, Satan. These are harsh words. People are wanting to follow Jesus, but he's starting to reveal, this is where I'm going. Do you really want to follow me? Do you really want to follow me? And he has these interchanges with three different individuals, which I believe are about three different kind of heart attitudes or distractions that we can get around that Jesus wants to kind of pinpoint and get right to the heart of the matter. Do you really want to follow me? Because in your question, in your heart, I can see this. And are you willing to let go of that? So that you can truly actually follow me. So here's the first point that comes out of the text um, as I've been studying it. Is it this, just flat out, the mission isn't stationary. The mission isn't stationary. 
right? If we're going to follow Jesus, we've got to be resolute about following him. Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem. He's on a mission to go somewhere. And the first one, he says, let me follow you. Let me follow you, Jesus. And instead of him saying, yeah, sure. He instead talks about how foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He's like, I'm not, I'm not stopping. I'm going somewhere. And here's the deal as a young church, but like right now you can know everybody here. It's cozy. This is cool. This is a nice place to be. But God's not done with you yet. And the temptation can be, you know what, we're big enough now that like, like we could kind of make sure that like Rich's kids won't be in poverty and, and we can have fun together. And this is just kind of cozy and it's manageable and it's nice and it's neat. And, you know, we can just kind of stay here. I'm wrestling with that as, at a bigger level at, at, at West Village, but it's the same thing. Every week people come up to me and it's like, it's getting too big. I don't know everybody anymore. I used to be able to kind of run all of this, but now, now this is part of a, a bigger structure. And, you know, like in the parking lot, now I have to park on the street. I can't even get into the, to the school parking lot. And I, I don't really, I want a small church. The mission isn't stationary. It's not meant to stay here. Now, how do we, how do we, how do we, how do we do that? How do we, how do we kind of fight that, that heart? Well, I think there's, there are two little things here that could come out of the way that Jesus is even speaking. I think the first one is, is to identify ourselves with him. Right? Jesus said, if anyone's going to come after me, and this is in Luke chapter 9, if anyone's going to come after me, they must take up their cross and follow me. So it's this idea of dying to myself, dying for my preferences in order that those that I care about, those that I love, they might be able to move forward, to be included. My preferences laid down for another. So identifying with Christ, that also means identifying with him, and this isn't popular, identifying with him when it isn't popular. Taking a stand as a church. And that doesn't mean going out and hitting people over the head with a Bible. But what it does mean is as, as you grow, as people come, there's going to be this pressure, especially on rich, to, to shift what, what God has called Grace City Church to be. And are we going to identify with Christ or are we going to cave because it's easier? Are we going to follow him? The second thing, if, if it's not just identifying with Jesus, it's investing in the things of Jesus. There's something going on here with foxes have holes and birds have nests. Why do foxes make holes? Guys, a lot of you are in university. <laughs> All right, this is, I, I don't know, maybe this is a tough question. It's not rhetorical. Why do foxes make holes? Their it's their home. They're foxes, right? Are you, are you in geology and all that kind of stuff? Oh, wow. See? There we go. Birds, nests, it's their home. It's what they do. It's, it, would we say that it's natural? Like, I've never seen a fox make a nest, right? So here's the question. As a follower of Jesus, where's your home and what's natural? 
Where's your home and what's natural? As a follower of Jesus, are you building fox, uh, foxholes or nests? Where are you investing? Grace City Church as, as a whole, are you, are you investing in, in the kingdom work? Or are you building Rich's kingdom? Are you building Grace City's kingdom? It's supposed to be what comes natural, and that's a, that's a key, and that's a hint here. I, I'm not preaching law to you guys today. Okay, this isn't like, buck it up, do better. You want to follow Jesus. It's about acknowledging, oh my goodness, Lord, when I look at my life, here's, I have, I have, I deny you like Peter denies you. I, I want to make tents and stay Stay where it's nice and it's easy and just be around Christians all the time. And, and I also, I, I invest in these worldly things. I care more about the house I live in or the job I get or the friends I've got than, than what, what you want for me. I've started tapping into and building out of my old nature rather than my new nature. Forgive me. It's identifying those things and saying, Jesus, I need you. Come, save me again by your grace and empower me to follow you. So the mission isn't stationary. See, this is why I go 50 minutes. We've got to keep going. Next one. The mission isn't just stationary. It also isn't dead religion. It isn't dead religion. We need to be resolute and living for Jesus. You notice that there's this interchange. The next two guys, it's both about family. And and. I don't think, and again, commentators would suggest that this isn't a double down on family. Okay, There's two different things going on. The second one is about family, and we'll get to that. And I love my family. This is the one for me. This is the idol for me. But first, we'll get to this one. When he addresses, when he says, I need to go bury my father. Okay, Listen to what one commentator says about burying your father in this context. He says this, the Jews counted proper burial as most important. To leave the father unburied was something scandalous to a Jew. The duty of burial took precedence over, get this, the study of the law, temple service, the killing of the Passover sacrifice, and the observance of circumcision. Burying your dad was the ultimate Religious responsibility. Ultimate. And what does Jesus say to the guy? Let the dead bury their own dead. See, the kings arrived. And everything else that that took precedence now comes underneath the king. Now, looking out, I'm like, most of you, probably this is not an issue for you, though you do want to bury your parents and honor them and everything else. And Jesus is not saying that that's not important. What he's getting at here is this idea that following the law, following the tradition, somehow trumps following Jesus. And when following Jesus and following tradition come in conflict with each other, Jesus is saying, every time it's me. You can be the most religious person in the world if you're choosing your religion over Jesus, even if your religion is quote-unquote Christianity. You've missed it. 
missed it. Now, I grew up in a church that was all about tradition, right? And somewhere along the line, the traditions were meant, they came from a missional heart, but something happens, right? Where, where it was meant to reach people far from Jesus and following him, and all of a sudden it became, instead of about reaching people far from Jesus, it became about keeping people who are quote-unquote followers of Jesus feeling comfortable, That's why you walk into a lot of churches and they feel like time capsules, right? It's because at one time that church was perfectly designed to reach people far from Jesus in their culture. The problem is, is it became about keeping people comfortable. Like, oh, this is the only place left in the world where I can go. And it's like it was when I was a kid. Not the point. Not the point. This next one here, it's, it's really about priority, and it is about family, and it's harsh. See, mission isn't just stationary, it isn't just um, dead religion, the mission isn't secondary. We've got to prioritize Jesus. See, this last one about wanting to be with family. The point of Luke's gospel is not that it's not okay to love your family. Over and over and over again in scripture, it's all about family, right? I don't know of any harsher word to to a family man in scripture than in Timothy, where Paul says, the man who does not look after his family is worse than an unbeliever. We're supposed to honor our father and mother. Everything is about family. So what's Jesus getting at here when he's telling them, no, you got to, no. It's about priority. One commentator said this, and he says, rather he chose a particularly forceful way to demonstrate that discipleship requires a radical shift in priorities. Jesus must be first. He will not accept second place to anyone or anything, even a good thing, such as honoring one's parents. By seeing that they receive proper burial, cannot usurp the place of the best thing, which is to love Jesus with all one's heart, strength, and mind. Luke's readers are thus prompted to examine themselves to see if, having begun to follow Jesus, They're now looking back. And that's what he says, right? Anybody who's worthy of following the king, of being part of the kingdom, and looks back, puts his hand to the plow, starts doing the work, and looks back, isn't worthy. You know, in Philippians, Paul talks about how he he forsakes looking back, and he strains ahead. See, looking back can be looking back at what you had to give up to follow Jesus, and it can get in the way. Looking back can also be, and this is where the enemy loves to get us, right? Looking back can also be, I did this. I failed here. I didn't do that. I have this sexual sin or or this issue or whatever else, and we can look back. And it doesn't mean that, we, that we, there isn't repentance to have to happen or any of those kind of things. What it means is, is that to follow Jesus means to throw off the sin that so easily entangles and keep our eyes focused on the one who's run ahead of us. You know, it's interesting here, and this is a little bit of Old Testament stuff. 
In the Mount Transfiguration, there's a guy there named Elijah, and, and Moses is there, right? And Jesus is standing in the middle. And this is kind of like the prophets and the law, right? Basically saying Jesus kind of encompasses, he's the culmination of all that God has done up until now. And what's interesting about Elijah is a lot of people actually thought that Jesus was, like Elijah reincarnated, or Elijah um, the part two, 2.0, better. What's interesting is Elijah had a follower named Elisha, okay? If you grew up in Sunday school, you kind of know all this stuff. If, if, if you didn't, that's totally cool. Just track with me. You don't need to know everything else. But 1 Kings 19 tells this story, okay? When Elijah picks Elisha to come and follow after him, Elisha actually says to him, can I go and say goodbye to my family and put everything in order, okay? And Elijah, get this, he goes, sure, Sure. Jesus gets asked the same question. And he says, anyone who wants to follow after me, puts his hand to the plow and looks back, is not worthy of the kingdom. There's going to be a lot of Elijahs in your life, as Elishas, who've got a wonderful plan for your life. Right, And they're going to invite you to do this and to do that as a church and as individuals, right? And it's not that there's anything wrong with that and you're going to have priorities and everything else. But when Jesus calls, and this is, this is underlaid in here, when Jesus calls, everything else is secondary. Everything else. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. And when he says, give this up, go there, don't go there... There is no second opinion. He is the fulfillment of Elijah. And he calls us to follow him. Here's the last thing. The mission isn't done. The mission isn't done. In the original text, there were no numbers. You grew up in church, you're like, duh. But I actually had a guy um, recently come to the Lord uh, through our church, and he called me one night. He's like, what's with the numbers? Like the little numbers and the big numbers? No joke, right? Just like totally didn't grow up in church, didn't know anything. And I was like, they're there to help you find stuff, okay? They're not ordained by God. So this actually keeps coming, all right? So his story keeps coming. So he's talking. The followers are like, what do I do to follow you? What do I do to follow you? And he gives all these responses. And chapter 10 just bleeds right into it. He just keeps going in the narrative. So the end of the conversation, you notice 10 verse 1 says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The harvest isn't done. It's not over yet. I'm part of a church planning network called C2C. And at 10.02, everybody's alarms go off to remind us to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out more harvesters. It's really weird to be in a conference where there's a whole bunch of C2C guys and like the guy speaking doesn't, he's not part of C2C and all of a sudden it's like beep, 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 beep. It's like September 11th or something, right? Like what's going on in the world? We're praying to the Lord of the harvest. C2C gets its name from um, Psalm 72, 8, 
which says, May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the rivers to the end of the earth. And actually, if you go down to Parliament Hill, this is really cool, and you go on the Peace Tower, I forget which side it is. I think it's the west side. That, that verse is actually engraved on the Peace Tower. You know, Canada's celebrating its 150th. I drove down there this morning and remember the crowds on Parliament Hill and everything else. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he might send out laborers. Laborers aren't church planners. Like, I look around this room, and if you're a follower of Jesus, guess what? You're a laborer. But how many of us have chosen to stay put? Chosen to prioritize other things? Chosen tradition? This morning we have an opportunity. As as Rich is going to come, we're going to gather around the Lord's table to kind of flip the switch again. I have a friend who says, every morning i got to get up and i got to flip the switch from self to Jesus. And we have an opportunity together this morning to, again, reprioritize. It's not about what we have done. It's about what he has done. And again, the reminder. And so we can follow him into the mission field that he has. I have this quote, just in case you're like, oh, this is just about building churches and everything else. So just throw this up here. This impacted me. Growing a church or churches, we're about planting churches, is never about simply increasing numbers. Growing a church is about emptying hell and filling up heaven. It's about making room for harvest and harvesters alike. I ask our church every week, how many churches are there in Ottawa? Come on. Not enough. True. There's one. There's a lot of laborers that I feel like are kind of like latent. And, and, and it's like my pilot light on my fireplace at home. We just need to flick the switch and the flame will come back on. And so it's my prayer that we will pray to the Lord of the harvest. But as we're praying to the Lord of the harvest, what's really interesting, he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest. So then what does he do? He sends them out. He sends them out as laborers. And so may he find us faithful as we trust in him, look to him, empowered by him, and go out and shine brightly and speak boldly for him.